Welcome back to There Will Be Movies. This is our podcast covering 25 of our favourite movies from any given decade. This is our fourth volume where we are covering the 1980s, not because we've gone 50s, 60s, 70s, but because we've done an absolutely insane <laughs> order. This is our 77th episode, and we are covering 1980s Airplane from a trio of directors named Jim Abrahams, David Zucker, and Jerry Zucker, collectively known as Zaz. Yeah. Uh, I am Ben Phillips. I am hosting this week, and I am joined, as always, on this intrepid journey by Matt Waters. How are you this fine, sunny morning? Not the hottest day of the year. No, no I did not enjoy a couple of days ago, I will say. Also, there may intermittently be what I assume is a bird outside the house, but, like, truly, like, nothing I've ever heard in my life. Um, Matt is editing this episode, so you've got to deal with it. That's true, but, I mean, maybe I'll leave the bird in just for, you know, everyone to to hear it. You know, it's insane. I recently moved, and there are just 1,000 birds around the house at all times. It's uh, it's great. I mean, I'm by a main road, but if I keep the window open you don't get to hear the buses and the weird sounds that the buses make yeah of course uh, on, of course london's london transport yeah uh, yeah uh, so which, airplane airplane good movie <laughs> good movie matthew mm. as always as always i like to do what is your history with this movie when did you first see it did you watch it in full the first time or oh, were you like scanning itv and watched like <laughs> two seconds of it i don't know if i have a coherent answer to this for you or one that i i, I should have known to try and think that through because you always ask me that but Honestly, I just, for as long as I have conscious memory of knowing movie quotes, people were quoting this to me. I was had seen clips, I guess. I, I think it probably took me quite a while to watch the whole thing in full. I'll say that. But yeah, it's just one of those movies that's everywhere. It's on TV a lot. You see just random snippets of it all the time. And yeah, I, I distinctly remember... <laughs> People at school getting really into it at random, you know, like in like when we were like, I don't know, 13 years old, something like that. Just somebody was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Have you seen Airplane? Airplane's really good. And it's like, you know, it is really good. But I just, I always got a kick out of the fact that we were fucking 13 year olds who were like, oh, my God, this movie from 1980. It's obviously a weird one because like it is so influential over a lot of comedy that's kind of coming out around that time. Because obviously, like, when we're kind of that, like, late 10s, early teens, you're seeing a lot of, like, Family Guy's obviously very influenced to kind of, like, the cutaway humour in this movie. And (laughs) obviously, like, the Scary Movie trilogy or or Scary Movie movies are about to transition into having one of the Zucker brothers directing. I think it's three and four, and then he was, like, involved with five but didn't direct it so yeah. the bad ones essentially but like um, it's, it's obviously like the fingerprints of this movie are over culture and i'm kind of the yeah. same way where like i remember snippets of jokes i think we had like a vhs recording but like mm. it's just one of those movies where like channel four would do like a, a tv special on like what the best comedy movies ever yeah. are and you just get like a run through <laughs> of like the top five favorite jokes and like random british comedians are like just repeating <laughs> lines back to you and stuff like that Speaking of which, here's our podcast where we will do our best to not repeat lines back to you. And it's one of those movies that it's obviously there's some uh, quote unquote racy stuff in there, but it's really easy to make a like TV friendly cut of it that you can show in the middle of the day. I'm still shocked that this is a 12A on Netflix. Yeah. I mean, well, I, there are explicit like blowjob jokes and, and stuff like that, but I mean, yeah. there's boots at one point as there well. There are tits which, at one point, yeah, for which sure. Which feels like really weird for like a 12A, and it <laughs> must be just it's it's 
hit like cultural osmosis point that the yeah. BBFC are just like, eh. What are you going like, to do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, every 12-year-old seen it. What can we do at this point? And also it's shown in a, a frantic crowd. It's not like, although there is the shot earlier where with a shirt on, they're like, turbulence. And it's just tits. <laughs> jelly panning um, over to the <laughs> So before we get into like some more surrounding context, yeah. I just want to say like I think this movie has aged beautifully mm. in some regards in terms of the fact that like there is a very minimal amount of dated pop culture humor. Yeah, like, I think like the biggest significant one is the Saturday Night Fever riff is kind of like the. But that's kind one. of immortal. Like you see riffs on that to this day. It is, but at the time, it's only three years after that movie comes out. Yeah, uh, yeah, I appreciate that. So but, like, yeah, it, I, I feel you could. No, I, I feel you get away with that joke. For me, it's more the like there is stuff where it's like. I think they are just getting away with it, but some of the the, the racial the jive, jokes, the jive stuff is yeah, the... the jive stuff. I'm like, right. I find this funny because of how many, let's say, Middle Americans probably would genuinely appreciate a translator when black people talk, and I, I'm like. Oh, they're making fun of that, that like white people can't understand black people, aren't white people stupid? And then it gets to a point where it's like, or are they actually making fun of Jai? <laughs> and I just, I don't quite know, and I hope it's the way I find it funny. I mean, I think I think one of the Zuckers did an interview where he was like, I mean, th- th- there's two defence moments that he's got in terms of this. The first one is that he's taking the piss out of both black people and white people. Mm-hmm. And I get what they're going for, I think it does lean ever so slightly more towards taking the piss out of white people but there's yeah. still a level of like is it all jive because at some point i'm just like or is this just descending into full nonsense well that that's again is that the joke that they're like can you make it as ridiculous as possible and like you know because like early on i'm like why would you need subtitles that like, it's difficult to know. You've also got stuff like when they cut to the worldwide news and you have a Pacific Islander <laughs> playing drums at the camera, which is kind of funny in, in, in a way, but then also like, ooh. <laughs> it is all very much kind of like it's... But for a comedy of this era, that's it, really. I mean, if you want to get offended by the fact there are tits, sure. But other than that, it is, it, it's generally all right, you know? Like, like, you would expect to have to be like, ooh, so obviously there's this giant swath of the movie that's not okay anymore. Yeah, like, that's that's the thing. Is kind of like, in the history of this movie, this isn't going for, like, the gross-out humour of where the kind of 80s goes in mm. terms of, like, we're not doing the, like... And the boys have, like, drilled a hole in the girl's shower room and they're just going <laughs> to look at tits for ten minutes. What are you fucking trying to say about the masterpiece that... Is porky <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean obviously this movie is is a big hit mm-hmm. i mean tell me where does it stand in yeah. the world, world rankings of 1980 map yeah so i mean on a budget of three and a half million dollars meager it ends up making 83 million dollars i believe yes uh so that's a, a massive growth on a small budget it doesn't sound like you know insane in this world where you know you're a failure if you don't make 500 million but if we go back in time to 1980. Airplane does well enough to land in the top five of the of the year. At number one, obviously, Empire Strikes Back with 200 million. Over 100 million more than second place, nine to five. And then you have Stir Crazy and then Airplane, Any Which Way You Can, Private Benjamin, Coal Miner's Daughter, Smokey and the Bandit 2, Blue Lagoon, and the Blues Brothers. It does pretty well. <laughs> and, and, you know, oh, The Shining, which we covered last week, is down at Amiga 14 with 44 million. Yeah, we're, we're playing in different levels of numbers. But, yeah, for the time, incredibly good. It's difficult to say I wouldn't call myself a film historian. I don't want to over-credit things. But I think you definitely see a major response to how Airplane does financially. Yeah, and it's a really 
kind of interesting time because obviously like in the history of comedy cinema you kind of like you can go back all the way to kind of early silent film and you've got your Buster Keaton and your Charlie Chaplin's where it's all everything is visual it's all slapstick it's all visual humor and it's kind of like very personality driven but it's all based around kind of like these elaborate sets and kind of like things kind of being knocked over to each other and then as some of the some of the greatest production design in in history yeah and then you kind of as movies become more talky you end up getting more into that like screwball comedy kind of thing where it's still got that element of like people walking in and off and all the rest of it but so much of it is also in the dialogue and like the pitter patter of like people giving it back to each other yeah you, you know your jack lemons yeah yeah and then what i think this movie is kind of the end point of for now is the kind of like the mel brooks stuff that he's doing in the 70s where he's mm. doing things like blazing saddles and whatnot this movie is kind of the pinnacle of the parody movie as a genre it feels like it's the one where it kind of breaks through but it also kind of does it in such a way where it doesn't break comedy but it certainly paves the way for them to do like oh people like to see us do blockbuster comedies yeah essentially. yeah and, and I, I i don't want to they, they obviously didn't invent the spoof and the parody but you see such a fucking deluge of them following this including from the creators of it like they go i like that they would sort of go off in their separate directions almost and 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 you know you have one of them making like the hot shots series which are poking fun at like rambo and top gun and, and all that and then one of them ends up doing basketball and and you know they're, they're sort of splitting up the cast and, and obviously naked gun uh they're, they're taking and we'll get into the cast, but you know they're each sort of claiming one of the veteran actor cast members and going off in their own direction to do more with them. And you know, and as you said, they get involved with scary movie, which is almost like the genre coming back on itself for them. Like you know, a whole new generation of, of of creators are doing their own sort of shit, and then you know, floundering a bit, and then coming to the to the pros to try and rescue it, and they make truly the worst three entries in the franchise. But hey, they tried. I mean, there's one decent scary movie. Yeah, the first one. Yeah, and yeah. then they made two way too quickly. So and then... The second one's like... All right, um, and then three, four, and five are very bad. But it's that it's that thing where like what you watch in comedy after this movie comes out is because this movie is reacting to, and obviously we'll get into the context surrounding the the creation of this movie. It is a response to the nineteen seventies blockbuster proliferation of disaster movies of like yeah. the, Poseidon, the Poseidon Adventure and and all those kind of things, which is kind of like completely done with because of Star Wars coming out in nineteen seventy seven and Jaws in Jaws in nineteen seventy five, like the two movies that kind of like start to change the perception of what a kind of like a blockbuster movie is but in the 70s these were the like the hottest things going around yeah probably no interest to children whatsoever and then you're bringing i mean i'm not saying jaws is like for the children but you know we talked about the 90s and like you know the impact spielberg has and you you end up with like jurassic park and and you know et is in the you know the 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 family friendly blockbuster but Um, it's just it's just funny that like have you seen like kind of the big four of airport sun adventure earth Quake or Towering Inferno? Two of the four. You've seen two of the four, but like, I have to assume they were like just playing on television. And you... um, yeah. Well, yes. I was born in 1989, but I didn't rush out and see any of these in the No, theater. no, no. But you, didn't, you didn't go to like go rent them on, on VHS. No, no. Like... They're just those things are just always on, aren't they? Yeah. And, yeah. But it's just, it feels like they kind of completely lose their pop culture cachet yeah. at a certain point when they get replaced by what are the blockbusters of the 1980s, which is Spielberg and Lucas and the kind of like that total reinvention. And so this movie feels like it's the one piece of like pop culture ephemera we have that like is referencing those older movies and kind of becomes the default version of it. I think 
that's why Airplane kind of like stands above them all is because we don't have the context for mm. what it's riffing on. Yeah, like no one has seen Zero Hour, which is a direct copy of, and I, you know, I took, I didn't know for a long time that it was a it was a one for one sort of well yeah, one for 0.75 whatever you want to call it yeah like the sag rules have changed otherwise like the fucking script writers of zero hour should be on this movie they bought the rights to zero hour when they were making it because they but were you, convinced but... they would need and it cost them like two and a half grand which is insane <laughs> but yeah they they knew that they were like you know just so heavily leaning on it so they bought the rights to that movie and it's yeah. just funny that there's not even like a story credit to that no movie. <laughs> yeah as you say Saturday Night Fever is there but like for the most part they are essentially just using the structure of a uh, a, a playing it straight movie and using that and attaching jokes to it and when you see these other spoof movies they are like let's mash up the plot of all of them and like let's hit them with like six movie references every ten minutes like it, they are so indebted to other pop culture that they, they feel wholly different to Airplane I think that's why Airplane stands above because like how many people watch watched Airplane and didn't know it was, as I say, like a direct spoof of, a, of an older movie and just thought, oh, it's just a funny movie. It's just like a sketch comedy for an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's an interesting one because I feel like the first scary movie kind of does that. I feel like the first few kind of like pick a movie and kind yeah. of riff on that. Yeah. And, but and Naked Gun, I think, gets away with it because Naked Gun doesn't really do a movie that it's parodying. It's just kind of like there's so many cop movies that Naked Gun can kind of yeah, get away with and, it. And, and I'm not saying Hot Shots is, is like a legendary series, but I watched them both a lot when I was young, so they're special to me. Hot Shots 1 is like just straight up Top Gun. And then Hot Shots Part 2 is like mostly Rambo, but here's like 12 other movies. I think that is, and you know, you look at like Not Another Teen Movie, which is She's All That, but then every conceivable movie they can get away with and they just descend into like you even see really that knockoff yeah you you even get that knockoff series where it's like they're literally shoving 12 movie names into the title like the hunger the hung well no well, um, yeah, we're getting into, like, the, the two worst directors in, like, American history <laughs> who do, like, the yeah, the, those movies. Yeah. Um, like, they, they were the writer, like, two of the writers on the first scary movie, and then they kind of, like, parlayed that into just yeah. a horrific, like, superhero movie, date movie. And yeah, just, yeah, like, yeah, all that shit. And the they... ultimate, like, death of comedy cinema, which kind of, like, you can trace to Airplane in terms of, like, you watch how comedy changes in the 80s. And yeah. what happens in the 80s is I think they start seeing the box office return you can get on a comedy movie and from there they start putting more budget into it and like obviously like one of the big ones of this that kind of like also starts to accelerate it is in a movie we definitely will never ever cover on this podcast <laughs> Ghostbusters is this like it's this huge big budget movie that is both a summer blockbuster but also a personality dread comedy movie and what starts to die is like the big budget and the money starts to go toward the actors and you yes. start to get these like huge comedy movies that are based around stars and when you look at this movie in terms of airplane like there are people who are known for being serious actors but there isn't really a like a central star and yeah. i think I, I think casting robert hayes and, and julie Haggerty as as the leads who he was in a sitcom i don't know much about her career but like i think having two people that just look like random people almost <laughs> really helps and I think they told them to play their roles mostly straight and let everyone, let everyone else sort of be a clown. And I think that really, really helps 
yeah, but, like it does help because like there's no ego yeah. at the center of this movie, which you start to get when like Bill Murray and just all these comedy comedy stars of the '80s start to come to the forefront. And like, yeah. I, I don't know if it's because they're plucking from SNL, which kind of like starts to like get this inflated ego. But like, yeah. so much of comedy in the '80s is based around these Lorne Michael comedians who kind of like push yeah. into this thing. You move into Eddie Murphy being like the biggest comedy star in the world, mm-hmm. and you see it with Jim Carrey in the '90s as well. Like, you know, we need to build in places for him to do the stuff he's known for rather than we wrote a movie and we need somebody to be in it yeah, yeah like they're, they're sort of like leave room for bill murray riff or, or whatever and, and let them do the stuff that they want you know let them incorporate their stand-up almost into uh, into our movie and it feels like we don't get back to this style of comedy until well again it's another kind of like snl boom when mm. you get to things like anchorman in the early 2000s and like you get to this kind of level of absurdity again that kind of like hits with people and is also kind of a parody of a certain kind of thing but then we get too far into the apatow realm where it then becomes <laughs> it loses the sight gags of this movie the apatow movie and kind of wholly becomes comedians <laughs> riffing with each other as yeah, we what if we leave the camera rolling for 24 hours and i think that's what makes this so good is it's balancing the absurdity of the humor but there's also just so many visual gags going on in frame yeah like, at like every single point of the movie and there's like all the signs the like you know caution signs have got like bad puns like instead of like being in another language what is it like go back or sit down or yeah they're, they're all like spoofs of like someone with a heavy accent saying yeah. the words almost <laughs> I think the thing I respect about it is, even if they're not all bangers, like I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you will laugh your ass off for 90 straight minutes and every one of these jokes is golden. Their commitment to making sure that they're doing a joke every, like, 30 seconds is incredible. Even the commitment to jokes that don't land on the first time, like, yeah. and, and to, to do the first joke quote of the episode, like, I think my favourite running gag in the movie is when someone states a room and then they go, like, what's that? Yeah, and yeah, go- yeah. <laughs> you know, we talked about, like, cultivate a list of like our five favorite jokes so that we don't just quote the whole thing and i was realizing mine is like it's kind of all one joke and it's when things are taken just so literally so you have you know hospital oh, it's, a, it's a white building with patients it's a big building with sick people in it and like the cockpit it's a little room where the pilot sits and smoking or non-smoking and she hands him a ticket that's that's literally smoking and they're on instruments and you can't and they're all playing like jazz. yeah these are all basically the same joke but it's just so good yeah, it's, it is just a daily of jokes and again it feels like we don't get back to this style of humor mm. which is just like we have got 90 minutes and we need to put as many jokes into it until you really get to like tell television in the early 2000s the logical end point of this style of humor feels like we go until arrested development and 30 mm. rock until we get to doing this again at large in a way that feels successful well they're like playing it straight within the world kind of thing but it is just completely absurd but even those like like airplane is like doing insane things <laughs> like like really over the top stuff uh, even that i would say is kind of similar to kind of like andy sandberg's like hot rod and stuff like that it, like mm. the absurdist humor yeah. feels like it disappears from like the american lexicon for like 30 years until it comes back in force in the 2000s for a yeah. little bit but by that point comedy is kind of like dying and the movies that are making money are the ones that have the star power or the rom-coms and then we hit the kind of like the 2010s <laughs> those went away yeah, yeah like, there's no there's no comedy movies now really that are making money like netflix will throw you a bone kind of once a year with a rom-com but even then it will be like it does seem that that is the 
I don't know if it's because comedy is kind of a gamble in a way. I mean, I know everything is a gamble because I, all I, art I is subjective to... and, like, you might not like a story or like, respond to an acting performance, but, like, jokes especially and, like, stand-up as a thing. Like, stand-up now basically exclusively exists for Netflix. They are funding all these people to come watch a stand-up special for you, but... Yeah. yeah. I, but I it's just like it's... I, I think because like a lot of comedy like you can you can only really watch it once and maybe it isn't that good and like you know I think just having almost hitting that random button and being like oh I'll check this out if it's funny kind of thing on Netflix works in a way where like people are maybe a little bit hesitant to fork over money for a ticket and like the trailerfication has killed the comedy movie because how mm. many movies have we all gone and seen and been like oh I, I watched this movie and it was the trailer like they put all I of their funniest the, lines the best, the best jokes are in the trailer yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's horrible a, bosses that is one of the worst offenders I've ever seen literally every joke is in the trailer <laughs> I mean it's not just comedy because they do it with, with action movies and stuff as well where you can basically watch these two minute trailers they put out these days and you can probably just piece together the whole movie from them but comedy especially suffers because it's like right if this is your biggest joke and I already know it and I already laughed at it I'm probably not going to laugh at it again am I so like if your whole thing is built to like hold for applause and hold for laughter and it doesn't come what do you do <laughs> and then it's twofold as well on top of that where you have movies nowadays need to make money and yeah. comedy movies don't sell internationally no. because it's a lot of a lot of its wordplay and stuff that doesn't translate and, exactly yeah. like so because you t- took away the kind of slapstick like you look at movies on the continent and like mm. movies that do well and like the kind of comedy movies that someone in France mm-hmm. is making they tend to be slapstick like there's yeah. the famous German short film that they watch at Christmas time the same procedure as last year uh, mm. I forget I forget the name of the thing but like that is almost entirely slapstick and that humor translate very well but it kind of fell out of vogue in terms of the american the american sitcom or the american kind of like the the way of doing comedy and so you lose so many sight gags and so much physical humor and because of that you can't translate it into into chinese or into russian and Mm. kind of like expect it to play the same way and i think the other thing is comedy kind of moved into television and even in television not many people are doing a straight comedy tv show anymore they're all dramedies that are like 30 minutes long and are ostensibly supposed to be funny but are then also some of the most like emotionally painful tv you're going to watch like bojack horseman (laughs) is a really funny tv show but it's also a movie about a depressed horse who fucks up everyone's lives who's around him maybe more on that at some point (laughs) yeah and like you know i feel it comes up a lot these days but you know barry is supposed to just be this absurdist funny thing for bill Hader, and it's like oh this might be the best acted and produced thing on television right now (laughs) you know you still have your deluge of the stuff that like you know when it's upfronts time and renewals time i'll see you know i'll always text you and be like what the fuck is this show i've never heard of that's coming back for a fourth season and looks like it should have been cancelled after one and and they're just none of them are all that memorable i mean that happens in like every culture doesn't it where you go like oh my god the big bang Theory ran for 12 seasons like who's watching this and it's like it's the most watched show in america yeah i mean i mean that makes sense but like i just feel that like american tv just spits out these like written by robot like insert actor and and uh, oh it's them again kind of thing and like you know you see these fucking things that are like if happy endings was bad and and i feel around the time happy endings there were like three shows similar to happy endings and two of them like died on the vine um one had like ike bernholtz in it or someone like that. i don't know but it, yeah it, it, it's always funny how every culture like the biggest comedy thing of the moment is always the lowest kind of denominator hit like <laughs> you look at the fact that mrs brown is going to have a crossover <sighs> with medea stop it 
Um, and, and I'm not and I'm not criticizing people who like like those things. Obviously, Medea is like a huge cultural force in America, and people do like Mrs. Brown's Boys, but they're definitely not the kind of humor that appeals to people who like are kind of more omnivore people in terms with, of their people with taste. I don't I don't want to say people with taste, but like people who like watch a lot more. Like yeah. those are things that are probably not going to be held in the public consciousness in the same way that Airplane or Monty Python or all these kind of things are. You I think are that's because the public consciousness consciousness is like crafted by the stuff we've been talking about, where you see these like deluge of like lists and and like interviews and and things where they're like, oh, those are the top ten whatevers of whatever, and and people are constantly talking about them and putting them on and stuff like that, and that is driven by some form of editorial voice. If you just leave people to it, I don't think a lot of this stuff is as spoken about for decades as it is. No, yeah, that's the thing is like I can't imagine if like we come back to this when we're in our 50s and we see a listicle of like the best comedy tv shows of the 2010s i can't imagine mrs brown's boys is going to be like topping that list or anything like that but again huge huge phenomenon that is like christmas specials and live tours and all the rest of this stuff i watched like a minute of it once and i was just like i can't i simply can't <laughs> that's kind of like where we stand with comedy and like this movie is fucking everywhere like mm. I, it was on like four different streaming servers when we when i came to watch airplane i was <laughs> genuinely spoiled for choice i know right <laughs> always the fun game preparing for the podcast <laughs> as i said at the beginning like i think a huge part of what makes this work and again i i don't want to like overstate and over credit for things but you get this sort of especially trio but arguably quartet of older actors who had been known almost exclusively for drama and, and playing it straight up until this point. And then Zaz are like, we think these actors are funnier than comedians, so we're going to just cast a bunch of actors. And you just see like Lloyd Bridges and Robert Stack and Leslie Nielsen just completely reinvent themselves in the twilights of their careers to the point that like they're known as comedy actors to it. Like Leslie Nielsen especially. I think a lot of people are shocked to hear he used to be a dramatic dramatic actor. They all nail it, the three of them. Just so, so good. Stack is my favourite. I know Nielsen is, is like legendary and like gets his own series out of it and everything. And I do think Lloyd Bridges has some really good little moments, like smoking in front of a picture of himself smoking and stuff like that. But M- McCross, again, like one of my favourite jokes is the, like, I, the wrong week to give up amphetamines. Or... <laughs> wrong week to stop sniffing glue, yeah. <laughs> But Stack, man, is... I can't even describe how powerful that is, that he's just, like... His voice is, like, hypnotic, and him playing it straight while ridiculous stuff happens around him just fucking works. He's so good. Again, I I adore the gag of him getting getting ready in the mirror. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. like, like the dog is attacking this person who's come to pick him up, and then the entire time you think he's, like, you're watching his reflection, and he just steps through the mirror, and you're yeah. like... I, just i adore the absurdity and like just the visual gags in the movie that if you look down you have missed like five of the best gags yeah and like the the driving sequence where they you know the most over the top exaggerated they're not really steering this car and they're like he hits a bystander and they're like turning five times in three seconds and he hasn't touched the wheel and stuff and again i think not to not to keep banging a dead horse but it's kind of what makes I, i feel like when i talk to people the most comedy they watch now is it's on in the background like they throw on (laughs) 
Taskmaster or The Office or, or, or like some comedy show and they throw it in the background, it's because so much of the humor is delivered by not the physical acting. It's all based on like kind of like improv humor and, and, and funny lines and stuff like that. And we're kind of missing these like really inventive directors who are willing to do things within the frame. Yeah. You can watch the entirety of the scene in which the captains the captain and the pilot and stuff like that are getting ready and they have like someone come up just to service the engine yeah like a guy yeah and he like falls off and, and he falls off don't watch the screen at that point you don't understand why suddenly someone has started screaming off screen yeah, if you're yeah. like just kind of like looking down and stuff like that yeah. and it's it's that kind of stuff that I really miss and yeah. it's the kind of stuff that we were praising Edgar Wright for on our, on our Scott Pilgrim episode is that he is someone who is incredibly interested in what is the funniest way that someone can like enter or exit a frame like leap, how do, leap how, through a window at 50 miles an hour <laughs> yeah exactly and like it's why I mean to, to go back to our like our wheelhouse like it's why Miss Marvel is kind of like mm. a breath of fresh air is because like again it's doing things in the frame that like so just, make it visually inventive right so Marvel Mondays go, go read it I literally said I think this is the first time a director has given a shit about where people are standing in a frame in a Marvel property and that is such a depressing sentence but just to have a camera pull back and like you know they're, they're on either side and yeah just bonkers that'll yeah, be I mean, over by the time I mean, you hear this well, that's the thing is like, even by the time you're like watching this movie and like people are getting hit on the head by guitars mm. or you're like yeah. pulling the, the IV out of like the girl who's got the heart problem and stuff like that just there's so <laughs> much yeah. going on at all times and again as we said like even if you don't like one joke there's another joke that's two seconds yeah. away yeah exactly like, yeah. Like, it doesn't get it doesn't get bogged down i don't think it's saying these are our five big jokes and everything else is whatever i think they put equal craft into all of, i mean some of them are elaborate like you know robert Stack beating the shit out of everyone in the airport is pretty <laughs> funny but i don't think they're like egotistical about their own jokes and I, I think they're willing to just like keep moving and they don't they're not beholden to a single they're not building everything to this one single set piece or, or or single joke that if it doesn't work for you you've wasted five minutes or whatever and I don't think anything is kind of clearer than that by the fact that there's a sequel to this movie that no one ever fucking talks about nope. <laughs> might like, as well not exist obviously Robert Hayes and Julie Haggerty come back for that movie of but course. like Zaz don't I've seen the opening bit of it it does have like one funny gag where like I remember from the start where a woman is like told she's only had one piece of like hand handled luggage and she's got to choose between her baby and her handbag and she says the baby can go in <laughs> the storage for yeah, the movie of course. Yes, yeah. and like I was like okay I laughed at that but like again yeah. it's I mean you know even in the worst comedy you've ever seen I'm sure there is one joke that will make you laugh I mean, do we want to do the plot? Because the plot of this movie is literally Zero Hour. Like, as, as you said yeah. earlier, like, they buy the rights to Zero Hour and, like, the plot is identical. It is traumatised ex-warfighter, don't ask us what war he fought in, <laughs> basically is forced to chase his girlfriend, who is a flight attendant, onto a flight. Outbreak then, of food poisoning. Outbreak of food poisoning, and then he has to land the plane, essentially. Like, it, yeah. it's a really bare-bones plot. Like, the fact it takes almost an hour for them to get to the point where, like, he needs to sit in the pilot seat is kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like, they haven't even taken off 30 minutes into the movie, pretty much. Yeah. They really put a lot into the takeoff aspects as well. Like, it's quite a long time of, like, walking through the airport and, like, pilots doing their checks and onboarding the passengers and meeting some of them in the airport. And we have this, like, argument of the announcement people, <laughs> which is a real couple. And so they got voice actors in and they, they weren't really happy with them. And then they just got a real couple to just have a little bit of a domestic over Aren't the Are they the real couple who record? Yeah, like they, they also do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, and I agree. Like, again, it, I agree with them. Like, having this real couple instead of voice 
voice actors, having mostly dramatic actors instead of comedians, telling your big three characters to just play it completely straight. This is going to sound ridiculous, but... Robert Hayes and Julie Haggerty have incredible chemistry. They do. It's so good. The ridiculous meet-cute in the bar and the dance number and everything, they genuinely convey a sense of, oh my god, I am so attracted to this human being. Better than most rom-coms do, and it's for nothing really, but it makes it work better. And yeah, they just, I buy it. And I'm like, yeah, you go, you two kid. Um, Well, you know, they're they're like filling that scene with with like jokes and, you know, Girl Scouts fighting across the bar and, and all this ridiculous stuff but like i'm like oh yeah <laughs> look at them go um, i don't think this movie stands out in the popular culture if you don't buy into that central relationship no. if you're not rooting for them to kind of let come to the end of this to work and, it out <laughs> because that's the thing is like and obviously like they pack it through with so many jokes and stuff like that like mm. he's got a drinking problem and <laughs> he pours the drink in his eye <laughs> like that's that's the thing. It's like they they undercut so much of like what it is, but what they don't undercut is the fact that these two people are attracted to each other, yeah, and whatnot. And I think that's what really sells it is they know they they said that Zero Hour is basically like a perfectly structured movie, yeah, the, the, yeah, something along those lines, yeah. And so basically, they know when not to undercut what this movie is doing. Like none of what they do in this movie is to undercut like how serious it is that this plane might crash. Yeah, and they don't undercut like the the relationship that these two people have, and those are the two things that you need to buy into as being like serious things that has to be resolved. And that's the major difference between this and most of the you know the I think of that generation of spoofs that came after well a long time after you know there was obviously a, two decades of them. But like when I'm thinking about how bad they've gotten, I think not another teen movie gets away with it. But the ones after that, you you just see stuff that just happens that would just. And then they just act as if it never happened and it would it like completely waylays what's going on. And it's, it's just for the sake of the joke. And like this does, I mean, there's the odd thing, but like in general, they never stray from the actual plot of the movie. And the jokes are just sort of bolted on as they go rather than just like, oh, I don't know, we'll go over here and do this and then just don't even worry about it. They're alive again or something like that. You know? Yeah, like it, it's not like the, the raft of suicides. Yeah. <laughs> that happened aboard this plane <laughs> like they could detract from it the fact that like they're worried about people people dying of food poisoning and three people have killed themselves on this flight i do like that bit actually that like and again like it's in service of him actually giving us backstory on this relationship and then they're like you know they obviously put jokes into the flashbacks but then they're also like and something even as simple as they're making out on the beach and they just get completely <laughs> consumed by a tidal wave but then they're like let's come back and like this person has gone from mildly annoyed to like they have just killed themselves <laughs> like the, the old lady is like oh, like she's been polite about it and then when he like wants to keep talking she's like okay fine and yeah, then she, just she says her, she says her piece yeah. wants to go back and read her little leaflet on Jewish sporting legends <laughs> which is tiny and light yes <laughs> and then and then the moment he starts with a story and she takes the glass off and it's the biggest look of contempt I've ever seen <laughs> in her actress's face yeah speaking of sporting legends you you want Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is in this movie for no fucking reason, but... <laughs> he is, and again, the, the problematic side of this is obviously this leads to ten years later O.J. Simpson being the like second or third lead of well, the Nicky Gun movies. Sure, sure, but... I mean, this is also spoofing on... I think an American football player was in playing a pilot in Zero Hour. And, like, that's what they're riffing on when, like, the kid recognises him. Because it's like, well, this is just blah, blah, blah. So Kareem, like, was in a shit ton of movies. Because he was an enormous star and he played in Los Angeles. And, like, it actually starts 
before that because he befriends Bruce Lee, which gets him in Game of Death. But then, you know, in the 80s, you see him, like, it starts here, and then he's in, like, every fucking sitcom, so many movies. I, I gather he wrote some episodes of the comeback of Veronica Mars. How were they? Uh, fine. Uh, the okay. only thing that I didn't like about the comeback of Veronica Mars is the kind of the, the end of the season, which also is kind of the only thing they can really do with the show at that point. So it's mm. kind of like, it, it's a weird one. I'm try- is he the person who's got like a, a blog as well that he keeps of like... I don't know about a blog, but I know he, he writes a lot. He, he has won awards for his writing. Yeah, and, and I, I actually think that this movie probably really helped his public image because he had this reputation of being this introverted, stoic, almost rude, reluctant star. You know, he converts to Islam and changes his name, and much in the vein of of Muhammad Ali, where you have the white sports media still calling him by his former name for a little bit too long and stuff like that. And in the 80s, he sort of, I think he becomes a little bit more popular again. I think it probably is due to these movies and stuff. You know, he famously, like, he would keep reading his newspaper while he was giving interviews and stuff like that. And he, he just had no interest in any of that stuff. Everyone um, should watch when... Winning Time, by the way. Uh, the guy that plays him in that, Solomon Hughes, I think his name is, is magnetic. And How I think he's like he... a first-time actor as well. How long was he on the Lakers for? Like, what was his... Oh, God, play? like 16 years? 15 years? Something like that? Um, is he like in the middle of the Lakers at this point when this movie's coming No, out? so the funny part is... <laughs> <laughs> he is a, a phenomenon as a young player. He is so dominant in college, they banned dunking for basically 10 years to try and make him less dominant. Um, he gets drafted in the NBA, immediately is huge, wins a title almost straight away, doesn't like it in the Midwest for cultural reasons, by his own words. Wants to go to, uh, you know, the more liberal coasts. Go Forces his way to Los Angeles. They're very bad at this point. So this movie comes out in 1980, filmed in late 79. So when this kid is saying, you don't play defense, you don't run, you only try in the playoffs, the very next season, i.e. the season this movie came out in, is when Magic Johnson arrives and they become this really fast-paced, flashy team turn basketball into an entertainment thing instead of just a sport and like the birth of modern you know how basketball is covered the lakers as this like glitzy franchise all of this stuff all comes from this and like a big thing was magic like got kareem to run a little bit (laughs) he still (laughs) was like the slowest guy on the team but like they really clashed and then he was like you gotta run basically (laughs) so like it's very funny to me that like we talk about like riffing on things that were very time dependent it's very funny to look back on this movie now and like see a kid criticizing kareem when they would then go on to win a championship immediately after that and then i think i mean they won many more in that decade i can't remember how many kareem was on for because he was old at this point but i think they won like five with him something like that but yeah, yeah they won in 80 82 85 87 and 88 yeah I think 88 would have been without him. Uh, no, he, this is oh, on his video. Okay. He, he's 88. He finished in the LA Lakers in 89. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, like, and he's like the third best player of all time, basically. So, like, I know he's not as big of a household name as Michael Jordan, as arguably Magic Johnson, as maybe LeBron James. But, like, this is an enormous sports figure in this movie. Like, game for it, fully committed to it. He's not, like, a brilliant actor by, <laughs> by any means. I, I do enjoy like the pivot where he goes from like and I like the meta textualness of it where it's like you don't know whether or not this is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar exactly he walks in and you're like 
Um, and then they're like giving him this fake name, and then when he collapses and they wheel him out, he's wearing his Lakers gear from the waist <laughs> down, and suddenly he's wearing his signature goggles and stuff like that. But um, like, that's the thing is like, is he nightlifing as a pilot, and like that's that's the subject of the movie, or is he breaking character so entirely? I, I think it's entirely a spoof on when you put a big athlete or a famous person in a movie, it's everyone so is distracted by the fact that that that's that's blah blah. Yeah, I, and I like I, that they acknowledge it like that, and they're like, "You're Kareem." He's like, "Nope, I'm." <laughs> I'm Roger. <laughs> but yeah, I did. I did look it up, and yeah, like he is a, like a prolific movie blogger. He wrote a, yeah. an article on the three most disappointing movies of 2021 are the best picture nominees, uh, <laughs> calling Power of the Dog, Don't Look Up, and Nightmare Alley massive disappointments. He's right on two of those. Yeah, but yeah, like I, I, I love that he's in this, and like I think in America at the time it would have been quite a big deal, and obviously you know to younger and international audiences, it's like oh, it's a big tall man i guess he's a basketball man a huge huge star in his sort of like second movie and then he he goes on to be in a whole bunch of stuff and i mean so so just in, term, in terms of like basketball popularity obviously yeah. it feels like basketball is like number two in america in terms of like overall viewership behind the nfl but these, like these days yeah yeah but like where would it have been in 1980 oh. Yeah, like, basketball was not... Like, there's famously, like, the NBA Finals were on tape delay. They didn't even show them live, which is ridiculous. And I do genuinely think the Lakers becoming this big entertainment juggernaut helps it become more of a household sport. I have to imagine it's kind of more coastal at this point as well. There's like, yeah. you make this movie, this feels like a very kind of coastal elite movie that you're making. Mm. I know it's kind of like, it ends up playing across the board in America, but like, yeah, this yeah. feels like, because New York and LA are kind of like, yeah. what I think about in America as like, basketball towns. Like, those are the, <laughs> everyone knows. Yeah. I mean, college basketball has always been enormously popular. For a long time, it was more popular than the NBA was. I think there has always been a kind of resentment America has issues with athletes, and I think it's no coincidence a lot of them are black athletes, and like this perception that they're like in it for the money and, and they're too flashy, and we need to get back to the fundamentals. And there is actually that joke in there where, again, on the kind of you're walking a racial tightrope, they're in like. They teach them basketball. They teach them basketball, and they're all immediately brilliant. And the reason it works for me is because you have Ted playing it straight and being like, I was able to get through to them because of like, you know, that he's so oblivious to what's happening in the yeah, background I, in terms of like how good they are. And it smacks of this like false perception that like white athletes and white coaches are just so much smarter and everything. And it's like, oh, you may succeed, but it's within the framework I taught you because I am the very smart white American. And it doesn't matter that you're better than me because I taught you, therefore I'm better than you. And yeah, so for that reason, it works for me that like he's the butt of the joke. But then there is also this thing of like, ah, black people in Africa are brilliant at basketball. Cool. It is that weird line where it's like these three Jewish guys are making this joke <laughs> in this movie, and yeah. like obviously, like Mel Brooks is like the king of the Jewish comedy people doing spoofs and stuff like that, and yeah. like Blazing Saddles obviously is a controversial movie, but again, hmm. one that kind of like skirts that racial line. Yeah, it, it feels like in a very kind of like smart way. Yeah, it obviously the eternal line is where well, you couldn't make a movie like Blazing Saddles anymore. It's like we well, wouldn't want to because. <laughs> They already made places. <laughs> made it, yeah. You have this joke, and again, it does feel like it's kind of like poking fun at white imperialism. Yeah. Whilst, whilst I feel like there's a way you could do that joke without it being kind of like running on racial lines, because it feels like again you are like one step away from making a fried chicken joke mm. at like points in this, and that's kind of like, yeah. like I, I wish you were doing this better than what you are, but for like for 1980, this it does feel like it treads that line like in a really kind of interesting way. 
Kareem's in this movie. Kareem is in the movie. Uh, but not for long. Not for long. He is carted no. off less than halfway through, and when we don't see him again, OJ Simpson. Yes, it I, sure I, does. Like there is literally a straight line because obviously it is literally directed by. So yeah, so David, David, and I think Jeff, like they all write it. So I think this is one of the few times where like they're still collaborating all together. But David is the only credited director on Naked Gun. Mm-hmm. They bring in OJ. Oh, like obviously it's Leslie Nielsen's staff vehicle, but like OJ is like it feels like it becomes part of that like normalization of him in the culture when you get to that movie yeah. and obviously it plays so massively into the trial just what the public perception of him is at that point but it, it but it feels like that's kind of the death of the like sports star being in a movie or like being in supporting roles i can't it doesn't really pick doesn't up happen much these the days and batista yeah and but that's them transitioning away from what they were doing to well yeah i mean i guess you know well kareem was still playing oj was not but yeah like you know the wrestlers are always just trying to like make it to hollywood but like yeah, lebron I mean, james pops up and stuff he he owns like a media company like he's in train wreck he's in space, space jam. jam um i gather he is laughably bad in space jam despite being okay in train wreck but i mean my, my favorite thing is the rumbling is that he's going to be in like the multiverse as warner brothers fighting game at some point <laughs> yeah. because i have to assume that michael jordan would be too expensive to get for that yeah the only place where batman can punch Shaggy from Scooby-Doo in the face. I don't know. I mean, you, you do still see, like, athletes popping up and stuff, but there isn't an attempt to give them a larger role like this in a bigger thing. It tends to be little cameos and almost like they're not even acting and they're almost like breaking character on set openly. Kind of it also feels like when it happens now, if if you make a big point of there being an athlete, either they have like retired, they finished their career yeah. and they're transitioning into acting like the wrestlers are because obviously you're like, it's it's a very logical leap to go from what you do in wrestling to what you do in, yeah. in movies. And obviously like three of the biggest stars on the planet at this point are ex-wrestlers. Yeah, and... <laughs> John Cena is just so much better than all of them. It's ridiculous. He's so much better as an actor, and he's a better person, and he's not weird, and like, oh, he's so good at Peacemaker. I mean, his, his, his apology to China or whatever it was was a bit cringe. Eh, yeah, but, I mean, I just, The Rock is a very weird human being. Like, there is something going on there that is never going to come out publicly. It's, like, it's I don't Tom know if Cruise. he's a Scientologist. Exactly, yeah, it's very Tom Cruise. There is a deliberate... Like, somebody said, has The Rock ever kissed a woman in a movie? And I think he actually has, but it's, like, so difficult to conjure it up. And, like, there is just this weirdness to his roles. And... I mean, again, he's doing the Tom Cruise thing of he works with four directors that he likes. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. all he does at this point. He has, like, his four guys. He has his costume. It's why Black Adam is so weird. Yeah. Where it's oh, like, God, this it is bad. kind of out of your wheelhouse. I don't understand why you've signed on to do this. Well, because, because he, he wants a piece of the pie. He wants whatever's making money, and he's insisting he has forced their hand into making him his own movie and they're like okay fine if we can have the rock even though like i know his movies make money but like has he ever been in anything genuinely good i mean i know people like the fast movies and there's people oh jumanji's surprisingly good but like i I feel he's just an aggressively blah movie he like justin lynn manages to get the best out of him and i have to think that obviously the egos clashed on the fast movies between yeah. him and him and vin diesel and obviously the, the vin diesel ego has like completely subsumed that entire franchise at this point like justin <laughs> lynn is off and justin lynn is like the only reason that i was championing f9 as hard as i did last year and at this point it's like vin diesel has killed the he's gone insane <laughs> he's gone completely insane like these things fucking saved him 
from just being gone from the public consciousness. And rather than being grateful, he has developed the biggest fucking ego about it possible. Where he's like, I am this franchise. <laughs> so it's like, you could disappear and no one would give a shit. The Rock is good Moana as well, to be fair. Fine, fine. But yeah, I, yeah, like, I just feel like he's this massive star and he's not actually in anything all that good. Like, I think most of his best work is in stuff that you wouldn't think of first, like Moana. And, and some of the stuff he did earlier on, I think, was more interesting. Uh, than... well, yeah, Southland Tales is great. I love Southland Tales. <laughs> but yeah, no, it is a weird thing. Like, he also starred in, like, the worst TV show of the 2010s with Ballers, um, a true, <laughs> true fucking travesty of a television show. I cannot believe I watched three seasons of that goddamn fucking show. But yeah, that's, like, that's the rock. <laughs> that's the rock. And that's kind of, like, actors actors in movies. Yeah. Um, I mean, but again, like, the, the worst version of this, and it happens so often, is that you end up pinning your entire, like, third act, like Dodgeball does mm. with Lance Armstrong. And <laughs> God, I yeah. haven't seen Dodgeball since the allegations against Lance Armstrong were proven true, but that either plays as, like, the greatest meta joke of all time. <laughs> I mean, he's in a lot of movies as well, all of them pre-trial. <laughs> That's that's quite a thing. But yeah, like that's the thing is you can pick over airplane. Airplane feels like the start of like so many different things that kind of like permeate the entire culture. Like it doesn't get nominated at the Oscars because like fuck comedies, but like they put <laughs> it up at the BAFTA for best screenplay, which I yeah. think is like that's fair. It's it's meticulously written. Did you spot Jonathan Banks in the movie? I did. I did know to look out for Jonathan Banks. Because <laughs> that fucked me up. <laughs> he looks so younger. Weird. But like he also looks like he has eternally been the age that he is in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. And community, come on. And community, yes. um, I have to re- reference the one that Matt likes of the three. <laughs> I like Breaking Bad just fine. I'm sure I would like Better Call Saul. I just do not have the enthusiasm to ever watch it. You're going to get angry texts about that when this posts. I don't give a shit. I was more meaning, I know everyone talks shit about, you know, that era of community, but I thought he was actually really good in community. Oh yeah, like, he's, he's, he's like, I wish he hadn't, I wish Better Call Saul hadn't come together so quickly that he was forced to vacate the role before the show ended and they had to, like, not that I don't like Keith David and Paget Brewster. By that point in community, they're just recasting actors because they need to, like, fill up the space and, like, everyone is, like... F- and they're just pasting over it with meta jokes. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, not that they didn't already do those, but they got extreme. It's so easy to like pull from this movie and just yeah. end up in a tangent of comedy, which is why I wanted to get away <laughs> up front because it's like it does feel like Airplane is this like pinnacle of like what you can do in a comedy. Like it mm. feels very similar to like what Channel Four had it behind number two greatest comedy movie of all time behind Life of Brian, which is like the thing that only Such us Brits could do. Is we have kind to, of thing. We have to have a British comedy movie as the number one comedy movie of all time. Obviously. Um, but like it feels like it's such a cultural force but it also feels like from this point onwards comedy movies completely change and you kind of get this like 10-15 year run where like we're going to be discussing more comedy movies in this miniseries than we have in any other one yeah. I think they don't make them like this anymore but they don't and I <laughs> think that's true it's Like the fact that we've only really had like one one or two pure comedy movies in future ones where they feel like they're more director driven or more creative driven yeah I think speaks volumes whereas the movies we're going to be discussing that are comedy movies in the rest of the series after this one which is so very much driven by the creators and like well casting and stuff like that every other one is a personality driven comedy movie I think there's one last thing to discuss okay the increasing insanity of Johnny I think Johnny's the best character in the movie. <laughs> I don't think I would go that far. But Johnny yeah. comes in so late. <laughs> exactly. And then, and then I think lands like 90% of his lines. Yeah, and they just really, the only... really ramp it up. Like, 
it just gets insane to the point George, he's doing what do you like a brooch. Yeah, and like that is the kind of as I said, they're doing the same joke in like six different ways and they're all funny. It starts out there with like what do you make of this and yeah, he literally makes something of it. And then it just goes into like do some funny voices and like make fun of her clothes and the larger thing. Um <laughs> which truly, truly a bizarre moment in history, but funny. It's kind of odd because he threatens to take the movie just as it's hitting it maybe that's the point it's hitting it's sort of like dramatic crescendo and they're like lighten it up throw this insane human being in here sadly the actor who plays him Stephen Sucker dies six years after this movie mm. I have to imagine he would have been like cropping up yeah. in like so much stuff because he's in trading, place, trading places like three years after this yeah. but it feels like he definitely feels like he's the kind of person who would have had like a really great career would have dined out on this for a long time <laughs> yeah exactly like because that thing is like he, he is known as like the scene stealer in this movie yeah. I mean, he was he was an I don't, I don't want to say he was an out man but it's very obvious from, from his role in this movie <laughs> that he is he is a queer person and was and sadly like died of AIDS and all the rest of it obviously like the complete tragedy of the 1980s in America the one joke that I think like I, I do adore that one joke where the woman is eating the fish and they go like she hasn't felt this ill since she saw that Ronald Reagan movie <laughs> I mean I think we've done it I think I, I wasn't sure how we were going to get an hour of material out of what is essentially just jokes and like how do you do that without just repeating the jokes but we got there we did I, there is I, a, I there is through a, the plan yeah it's just fucking great. Like, there's nothing we can say about it. That... That's, that's the thing is, like, it, it, this was always, like, the riskiest episode we were going to do. There was a moment where this was going to be our first episode back, I think, before <laughs> The Shining. Before we found out The Shining came out first, there was a moment this would be the first episode back. And I think this would have been, like, a terrible, like, we've had no practice movie to come back on. Almost level that we would have done, like, three episodes and then come back and done this one. Mm. Just to kind of get our sea legs under us. Yeah. But every comedy movie that we do after this has got more of a plot and backbone or stuff to uh... stuff to it and not that this movie isn't a great but it is just one of the things where it's it's 90 minutes of just pure joke 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 and like everyone has picked over like the backstory of it and I felt it was more interesting to kind of like put it into its place in terms of like the American cultural lexicon if you want more of that chat I would recommend Blank Check's episode on used cars with um, Jason Manzoukas and Paul Shear where they literally do 90 minutes after they finish talking about used cars basically like lamenting the death of the studio comedy movie a really good episode like when they do their deep dives into into like genres of movies like their episode and Halloween delving into the, the birth of the slasher movie are, are really fucking good yeah. in that podcast have you listened to much of Manzoukas and Shreya's stuff I listen but, sporadically I listened to yeah. again the only one I listened to recently was they had the Blank Check Boys on to discuss yes. Zack Snyder's um, Justice League oh I need to hear that uh, Manzoukas like you know uh, he's he's like defined by playing these completely insane idiots but he seems like a very smart like well thought fellow I mean there's um, a fact that like the, the the two of them and obviously Porsche's wife like have a really successful like comedy movie podcast where they discuss yeah. comedy uh, discuss movies How I got made. Um, they're very good and obviously very knowledgeable which I think helps in comedy where like they're, they're obviously they're towing that line of being personality to discuss these movies but also being well liked and cast in fucking everything that like, dude took now. yeah he took Bill Hader's thing of like he will be in every single thing you see this year <laughs> um, yeah it, it's that yeah. sad thing of comedy actors now where it feels like they have to have a podcast on the side to like sustain them when they're not <laughs> if they don't have like a regular regular sitcom role or something like that yeah. but yeah so that's our episode on Airplane we are continuing with our complete tone of whiplash it's, next week it's um, by discussing Michael Mann's Thief our yeah. second Michael Mann 
episode. Yeah, after Heat, which I boldly call probably the best movie we've ever covered. <laughs> I can say with confidence Heat is better than Thief, but Thief's still a good time. Thief is still a good time. Yeah, so there's only one thing left to do this episode, and <laughs> that is, Matthew, will there be movies? The pressure to do a joke <laughs> after talking about possibly the best comedy film of all time is enormous. <laughs> And surely I will rise to the challenge. And it's then... a shame that I didn't phrase it in such a way that you could just do exactly. like, what is a movie. <laughs> well, there be movies. Ostensibly, yes. It's a very big... You know, like, that's not funny. I'm not... Fuck off. We'll see you next week. Bye.